Hello everybody, my name is Christine Gordon, I'm the Events Manager for Readings and I'm very happy today to bring you yet another fantastic podcast. Today I am so delighted to have with me one of my co-workers, Leanne Hinge, who is our digital content manager and we are both completely thrilled, isn't that right Leanne? to have all the way from America, Lindy West. Lindy, I understand that you've come to Australia simply to visit us two. It's true, yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is the peak of my trip. Fantastic. We're so thrilled to have you here. Last night, both of us went to the very excellent Wheeler Centre event at the Athenaeum. Thank you for coming. And uh, we were part of that enormous round of applause where everybody was really spontaneously bursting into claps and cheers throughout your whole entire talk. I can't even imagine how that felt. It was it was very, it was amazing. I mean, I didn't even know that anyone knew who I was here. And then there was a full <laughs> house at a beautiful magic theatre, um, all like yelling and, and um, yeah. crying. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, it was just, it was incredible. Um like I, I have rarely sold out venues that big in America, which is where I oh. live. Oh. <laughs> you know, it was very, very moving. I have to say. Well, when your book came out last year, the very excellent book *Shrill: Notes from a Loud Woman*, uh, it went sort of around the networks very quickly, didn't it, Leanne? It like- did. I was lucky enough to score it first because I was getting to review it for the RM. Um, monthly newsletter that comes out and um, came in the day afterwards raving about it. It's it's still, I think, one of the best books that I read in 2016. Oh, um, thank you. That's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's just been doing the rounds since then. So why did it resonate so much with you? Um, I, I've been in a similar space since... Um, well, probably for about the last 10 years. Um, yeah. I knew of you way back in the Fashionista live journal days because I'm, I'm one of the original body positive bloggers in Australia. So I um, have been following your writing pretty closely for a while and was just, um, I guess, incredibly honoured to read a book that spoke to me on so many levels, from feminism to body positivity to... Um, family issues to, yeah, just a, a lot of the journeys that you've spoken about in the book and, um, yeah. Well, thank you. So I, I particularly like all the pop culture references. Yeah. So actually, I'm a little bit more tacky than the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> Not more tacky. I mean, it's my book. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I said. <laughs> don't, you don't have to apologize to me. Um, it, I'm glad. Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's not like I invented body positivity. You were probably doing it before I was, so I owe you a debt of gratitude as well. So for for creating that community, so thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so this is one of the issues that's brought up in your wonderful book, isn't it? About the whole issue of body image and what being online now can do to something like that, or can can do to somebody. Uh, it seems to me that you're experiences of being so badly trolled as being a bigger person would actually have global implications. I mean, there's women of all variety of shapes and sizes out there and yet we're still being, you know, critiqued on the way that we look. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I said 
probably too many times at my talk last night, um, aesthetic conventional beauty is the really the only metric of women's value that we that we use. And so it's I always felt very clearly as a young woman before I before I discovered you know that any of this was even possible that it was even possible to feel good about my body um, I, f- I I felt very strongly that I had no value that had been made very clear to me and that specifically that I had that there was a hierarchy and I had um, less value you know measurably less value than conventionally attractive smaller women um, and-, and was was that strictly do you think a size? issue or do you think that's just about women in general um you mean beauty in general uh, yeah, yeah that, i mean that were, that were critiqued by the way that we look absolutely yeah. and that's why it affects every single that's you know, right. every single person and yeah. every single person you know even if you're if you're not fat you live in fear of becoming fat or being called fat um because we we um well first of all because we we really just devalue fat people um as human beings and we associate all of these moral failings with body size so fat people are lazy fat people are um fat people are gluttonous and and intellectually inferior uh, and fat people are destroying our healthcare system and um you know all of these things and so of course people are terrified um but but definitely there are other beauty standards that affect people and you know there's um, whiteness is a, a, an aspect of this, and um, there's there are a whole sort of matrix of really <laughs> different is. ways to devalue women. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely, body size is is a, it's a pretty linear correlation, you know. Indeed. Like um, I, I I think of like I think I'm I'm pretty, you know what I mean. You are. You're <laughs> actually. You. But uh, to those who can't see Lindy West right now, this is a very strange <laughs> woman in front of you. She's sort of vibrant blue eyes and very, very pretty smile. Thank you. Uh, beautiful, clear skin. <laughs> I didn't mean that. No, no, it's good for our listeners. I mean, people don't necessarily know what you look like. She's got a very chic bob. <laughs> so chic. Oh my it's, god, we all have a chic bob. It's, it's, it's <laughs> a room of chic bobs here. Um, no, but what I what I mean is, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like those things don't matter. They're completely negated by my body yeah. size. Yeah. So um, you you just can't really take size out of the aesthetics conversation. But um, anyway, I feel like your original question was <laughs> was about politics and. Um, well, I mean, in, in, increasingly we're seeing a real commercialization of the body positivity movement, you know, with things like, you know, the Dove campaigns and the body image issues that come out through the magazines where all of the fat women are invariably naked because designers don't make clothes for them. Do you think that this commercialization is a positive step towards kind of body diversity or is it a... You know, kind of both. Uh, I'm conflicted. Obviously, it would have meant so much to me to see a size 14, um, you know, conventionally beautiful white woman in a magazine when I was a kid because I had never seen that before. Now, at this point in my development as a person and as a, a political person and a person familiar with this conversation, uh, I'm aware that that accomplishes very little in terms of, I mean, it, it still means something because it's still underrepresented we still only see a very, very narrow sliver of, of body diversity. But um, the danger is that if we fixate on this on this beauty ideal that's only very slightly outside the norm, we're still ignoring 
yeah. uh, and erasing the vast majority of people who who are suffering much more, um, not just emotionally, but, you know, suffering actual systemic harm and discrimination. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we say, oh, body pos- like body diversity is solved or, you know, um, underrepresent like uh, underrepresentation of fat people is solved because we have this b- beautiful plus size model who's a size 10 on the magazine that leaves behind you know um p- f- fat people who can't buy clothes even in plus size stores um disabled fat people people of color um trans fat people fat people who aren't um hourglass shaped and have this sort of acceptable fat shape so it's the danger is in that kind of erasure and in um letting that priority fall by the wayside you know so i don't know i'm conflicted i think it's i think every every bit of representation is great as long as we keep our eye on the bigger picture and the people who are really the most in my opinion the the bravest and risking the most but just by um living in their bodies Cool. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone would think that she'd answered that question before. No. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. She might not have. I think that we're coming up with some, some tricky ones. <laughs> I, I feel like I've answered versions of that question before and like, never did a good job. So I'm feeling like I actually said sentences yeah. that, that said what I was trying to say. So yeah. I'm feeling pretty good. Hopefully I'm not wrong about my... <laughs> Um, So one of the things that you said last night was about the importance of finding a community. So for me, um, my journey, my personal journey to self-acceptance was through a really strong body diversity community online, but it was also a very closed community. Um, It was pretty private. People didn't really know it existed unless they went looking for it. So um, you were talking about the idea of the importance of finding a community, particularly for feminism and I guess I was wondering where is the feminism community is it online and if it's online is it a safe space and has that sort of changed what it is for people who are coming to it for the first time I think the internet is is um no three women having a laugh it's definitely happening online um i you know of course i have a community of of feminist friends that i also see physically um in person but there's something there's a lot of, I think, of exciting stuff happening, especially on Facebook. I'm in a lot of um, private Facebook groups. That's where I have meaningful conversations with other fat women, um, with other feminists. I'm in, you know, a couple of groups for um, women in comedy. And there are these closed groups where people can have conversations um, about, like, you know, I'm in, like, fat groups where I I say things that I don't say on my, on my you know, um on your blog on my on, on my blog, blog or on even on my face on my private facebook which is only mostly people that i know um it's e- there are certain things that i that i only say in like my little fat secret fat group <laughs> because <laughs> you have to be able to have the, these in group conversations where you feel safe and you don't have like 400 random thin people coming in and saying no you're not fat you look pretty or whatever mm-hmm. um or yeah. You know, that that's I mean, I guess that's what a safe space is, is being able to 
or that's one definition of a safe space. But there are problems, I was going to say. Every, I mean, every feminist group, Facebook group I've ever been in eventually implodes. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. It's very interesting. Don't you think that women do this great thing where uh, you have friendships for a whole lot of different purposes? You know, you have your work colleagues, you have your social media friends, you have your kind of school group friends, you have your ex-high school friends. Mm-hmm. And some of them over time, you know what, they kind of... Uh, that their time is done. You know, mm-hmm. we have a, we have friendships that kind of work for us for a certain amount of time. Do you think that's what's happening? Um, it's more like, um, well, yes, for sure. That's certainly happening all the time. For me, it's more like um, there are things that only other fat people understand. And this yeah, is the same right. for any marginalized group. And so sometimes it's something like, you know, this, this friend of mine who's like thin and beautiful, who I, uh, who I love... Um, and trust, like, said this thing that is, like, ugh. And I, mm. it's not something I would ever bring up with her, but I just need to vent. And then you can, mm. I don't know. It's it's things like that. It's um, sort of expressing uh, especially anger where it might not be well received in other groups. Yeah. But what usually happens in broader feminist groups, it's, in my experience, it's always um, race that makes it fall apart because it's always white women <laughs> being uh, yeah. being very sort of clueless and um, and very defensive if they're if when they're called out on um, on yeah they're in privilege on doing a bad job yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> on privilege yeah it's always it's all it always ends up being um, sort of a bunch of very defensive. I mean, I mean, I, I can't generalize about every single Facebook group, but this has happened to me in like four different mm. feminist Facebook groups. <laughs> so, um, and it it always ends with uh, women of color le- leaving the group and saying, you know, I can't, I'm not safe here. I can't actually express myself without being shouted down and being told that um, I'm I'm being divisive by asking uh, white women to change their language or um, be a little bit more sensitive and aware of their privilege. So that's, I mean, I, I feel like you could, anyone who has spent time in online feminist spaces, I think, um, no, I would guess knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just, um, so anyway, white women, um, please, try harder to to listen <laughs> and to remember that when people critique you it is an opportunity and not a uh, you know it's not a it's not a wound and it's not an attack there's been some uh criticism hasn't there of recent times about if you like the commercialization of feminism yeah uh is that something that you're noticing in your own hometown i guess so i i don't think I don't have the same reaction to that. But no, I, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm I, happy to buy those slogan t-shirts. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it depends who's selling it. You yeah. know, if it's if it's, I do pay attention to where my money is going. Yeah. You know who who's selling feminism to me. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that. I just I don't think it's a zero sum game that you know we can only focus on one thing at a time, and um, I understand the critique. I understand that certainly there's an in-group conversation to be had about um, 
declaring everything that a woman does to be feminist. I under like I like mm. oh I got my got my nails done today. Hashtag self care. Hashtag fe- like whatever you know. <laughs> yeah. it, it means very little. It really I mean, does. And in fact, if you were to actually analyze it in a academic way i'm sure oh. it's anti-feminist to get your nails done but what i mean whatever what is, that is the, that yeah i mean what is the utility of of policing that and um and i i think that as long as it's, it's kind of the same conversation as body positivity it's like we can have we can have this sort of frivolous end of it that isn't necessarily accomplishing much um because in a bigger picture way, it is constructive to get people accustomed to this idea and get people thinking about what it means to uh, to fight for women's equality or to, uh, you know, accept and love your body without conditions. And as long as we, again, don't lose focus on what the fi- you know on every on that final picture right mm. exactly yeah um i really just think you can do both and yeah. i know for example my you know my daughters don't think that it's they they weren't raised to think that it's bad and scary to call yourself a feminist where and i was mm. um and yeah. i was raised by progressive parents and mm. it's still that still got through and so I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm not mad at Beyonce, oh. you know, or what, whoever I'm no, supposed I'm to be mad, mad at. I love her. I think she's terrific. I, I really think, um, and, and that doesn't mean, I, that doesn't mean that that's the end point, you know, and that because you wrote feminism on a t-shirt and sold it for $50 that now gender equality is achieved. But it's, but, um. It changes the picture, though, doesn't it? Even just having someone walking down with a, t- a t-shirt, I think it, I it think changes it the picture. It changes the mm. everyday picture, which is th- what's yeah. important. Yeah, and yeah. and like no, I don't think that. Um, I'm not like a. Um, I don't think that capitalism is gonna <laughs> is gonna <laughs> save us uh, at all. Obviously, but in terms of, but I, I I don't think I don't see the utility of spending my time trying to dismantle something that. I, I do think contributes in some small way to the normalization of this concept mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, maybe like a gateway drug to more radical activism. I agree. And uh, one of the other things you don't have time for anymore is trolls on Twitter. <laughs> Good on <Nah>. you. <laughs> um, which kind of made me wonder when you were talking about it last night, whether you found trolling to be a gendered thing. Is it mostly women getting trolled and mostly men doing the trolling or... I mean, I don't feel like I have the data to back up any, you know, um, I can't say with any certainty. Anecdotally, yeah, it's, I mean, 90% at least men attacking me. And oh. I know that my female colleagues get a different kind of harassment than my male colleagues. Um, but again, I don't have data on that. Um, and there are, of course, women who engage in online harassment for sure i mean i have i've been harassed by women multiple times and then you also have your like sort of taylor swift army who threatened <laughs> to murder anyone. i mean they're like there are some teenage girls into yeah. some serious business um, <laughs> so it's not exactly fair to say that only men do this but there is a certain type of online harassment that is a male domain and it's it's men defending what they see, I think, as their their place um, as the 
you know, drivers of, yeah. of culture and discourse. Um, and, and, uh, and I think lucky blokes. <laughs> it, it feels like, you know, a lot of it just feels, it feels like this panic reaction to, um, feminism's power and the fact that, that until, up until this election, it, it really felt like we were winning to a degree, you know, we were, and that, and that, that, yeah, that's still it, there, you know, you are still winning. All we are people, still winning. Right. All, all of the people who were fighting before still exist and yeah. have now been joined by a lot of people who had the luxury of never thinking about this before and That's are now exactly horrified. Right. So. That's exactly right. <laughs> so we're heading towards the end of our time, but oh, I, no. I know it's so quick. It goes like this. Mm-hmm. But I did want to thank you on behalf of all the women of Australia, such a grand role, uh, <laughs> for writing your handbook, for writing a book that's fierce and determined and shows us that uh, it's okay to fight back. We are very grateful to have as many voices as we can in that arena. And because we're both booksellers fundamentally <laughs> and terrible, terrible binge watchers, uh, on a personal level, can you tell us what you are watching now? And when we say watching, really, Leah and I mean binging. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Thank um, you. Thank you. See. Reassuring. Um, well, first of all, uh, I have, I've been in honor of my trip to Australia, rewatching Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. I don't know if you've watched Costumes. it. Oh. <sighs> it's so good. Speaking of fierce so bobs. So pretty. So pretty too. <laughs> so pretty. Yeah. Um, I was like, is there like a Miss Fisher tour in Melbourne? Well, uh, <laughs> as I put the hair behind my ear of my bob, <laughs> Miss Fisher style. You do have a total of bob. <laughs> Um, but let's see. So, I, Miss Fisher, obviously. Um, I just watched my husband. And I just watched Westworld all in one go, which I was totally riveted. And then I mentioned it on Facebook, and a bunch of my friends were like, "Oh, it was so boring and bad." I thought it was totally fascinating. Um, what else have I been watching? Um, I'm working. I'm pitching a TV show right now, so I've been watching Ooh. a bunch of like female-written, female-driven comedies. So I finally got completely caught up on Broad City. Um, I loved Fleabag. Have you guys watched Fleabag? I don't know Fleabag. Oh, it's so good. Okay. It's, a, okay. it's a, like a really dark British comedy. Um, uh, I've been, what else did I watch? I watched Chewing Gum on Netflix, which is also British comedy. It's hilarious. Mm. I don't know that either. Do you know that one? Um, Add them to our list. What else? Oh, well, also, husband and I, um, we both missed Downton Abbey the first time around. So now we have like six seasons to get through which is <laughs> so many hours of joy right oh, there so, and, and it's so sad because now I'm, I'm on this tour like not that i'm unhappy about being on this tour but i am constantly like god i'm not gonna get to watch downton abbey until like may <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe i should cancel the tour <laughs> not really but like you know because i i would never uh, I would never cheat on him by watching Downton Abbey without him. So that means we have to wait until we're both in the same city again, which is <laughs> yeah. like forever from now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I can't really even stand non-binge watching at this point. Oh, it's, it's it's all or nothing, isn't it? Now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The idea of watching something live week by waiting week. a week. Ugh. Yeah, those days have passed. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I wish they were passed. Wait, no, wait, wait. What are you watching? I need. All right, so uh, look, I just have come out of a very big big session <laughs> of Breaking Bad. I know a little oh, behind, yeah. but my partner and I did do that in one month. 
there were some <laughs> there were some nights that at midnight I would say, "Oh, listen, I've just got to go and do a blocky. I just need a little bit of fresh air, <laughs> and then I can come back and do a couple more." <laughs> yeah, I only I watched I think the first two or three seasons, um, and then I started dating my husband. And he won't watch anything suspenseful because he gets really anxious. And so then I, so my choices were to watch it by myself, no. which I guess I had already been doing, but I don't know, somehow it, <laughs> I don't know, it just seems, I, I, so I never got back into it. I don't even know what happens. It's very, it goes gonna, down, baby, goes down. <laughs> I'm going to try to trick him into watching it with me. I've been obsessing over Emerald City recently, the oh, NBC. Oh, no. I haven't seen that. Really? Well, it's Wizard of Oz is a pretty important text for me. I, yeah, I me wrote too. my thesis on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote my thesis on the Wizard of Oz and I have I a pair of ruby slippers. And yeah, so when I heard that that was coming out, I thought, great, because he is, uh, a lot of people don't know about the books, how strongly influenced he was by kind of feminism and um, the the kind of push for women's equality and he's got transgender characters and he has this female uprising of women who take over the city because they're sick of being ruled by men and it's just it's translated beautifully into this kind of current Trump presidency era so it's been it's magnificently done it's got Dorothy's a woman of colour. Um, there's a really hot scarecrow. There's a trans <laughs> character. <laughs> um, the wizard is basically Donald Trump in a struggle wig. It's, yeah, it's oh, really good. I'm it's in. good fun. I'm right. in. Yeah. I'm in. And for our very final question, what are you reading? What are you reading? You don't have to be clever about this. We, we read. No, what am I actually reading though? I'm trying to. Um, uh, I am reading. Uh, what's it called? Okay, there's a, it's a, it's a third book in a trilogy. Yeah, it's got a blue cover. <laughs> <laughs> They're so our favorites. It was so the it's it's like a fantasy novel, con- contemporary. Um, uh, it just came out, and I'm forgetting. Oh, so the the first one was called Queen of the Tearling. The second one was called Something Else of the Tearling, and the third one is called Something Else. <laughs> uh, I didn't. Yeah. But anyway, um. It's great. I just, I, my, my, uh, my publisher, I think we must have the same, be part of the same company. Um, cause someone just handed it to me when I was like last time I was visiting my publisher. And then, so I sort of was idly just read the, started the first one at the airport and then read the whole thing. And then, um, was like, well, I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm gotta like, um, gotta find out what happens. Yeah. And <laughs> it's very, like, it's very, um, feminist and and sort of uh, says does interesting things with with gender and with be- ideas of beauty and and it's um, sort of half fantasy half like dystopian uh, future America chaos disaster which is oh. anyway it's great. timely I, I'm, timely yeah sorry it took me so long to remember. What uh, dear listeners, it's time for us to go uh, to Lindy West, a woman who has uh, spoken and keeps speaking, is on your side. Thank you so much for coming to Australia. Thank you so much for writing this book, Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman. Uh, here at Readings, we're enormous fans and we're very, very grateful to you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. <laughs>